All right, I want us to continue with our study of peace. And I, I want us to begin with a little bit of an understanding of what peace is, because when you say Jesus wants to bring you peace, that can mean a lot of things to different people, right? Uh, the very first definition we think of when we think of peace is that it's going to be a lack of conflict, a lack of pain, a lack of hurt. And if that is what peace is, many of us are lacking basically what the gospel promises to give us. And if we read through scripture when it says to be at peace and we assume that means that's by some act of our will, then we are going to constantly be disappointed and we're going to constantly be frustrated because you're going to have anxiety. You're going to have worry. You're going to be in pain and you're going to wonder why am I not at peace if Jesus says I'm going to be at peace. And so when we begin to look deeper, last week we talked about peace in a little different context, but we, we began to explore that peace is not the absence of conflict. It's not the absence of pain. It's not the absence of suffering or hardship. What peace literally is, is wholeness, fullness. The early Judaic understanding of shalom and that you can be in great distress, or at least distressing circumstances, and yet you can, in the midst of those, be at peace. Not immune from conflict, not immune from pain, not immune from hurt, but you can be at peace. And we looked at the very foundation of that last week, and that we can have eternal peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And we read Romans 5.1 that says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the very foundation of everything that we can experience with God. And that begins with an understanding of our brokenness, our repentance, God's grace through the the sacrifice of Christ for us and the ability for us to be forgiven and to be okay with God forever. This peace is foundationally built on the understanding that we are all going to give an account for our lives to Christ, to God. At one time, we will all stand before him and he will judge us. And yet what the gospel tells us is you will be made righteous and whole through the blood of Christ if you receive him as your savior. It's very foundationally what it means to have peace is I'm okay with God. No matter what happens in this place, no matter what happens in this world, it's going to be okay. Now, if you look around, it's not hard to see that the world itself is not at peace. I mean, we look at what's happening in France right now. We look at what's happening on the border, U.S. and Mexico. We look at what's happening in the Ukraine and Syria and the Middle East, news reports of what's going on with people disappearing and being killed in places they should be safe. We look at those things and we find that the world is not at peace. So when we understand and we begin to study God's word about peace, we cannot go simply to the place where none of that happens. Because that is not the world you and I live in, right? There is a fundamental place that even with those terrible things happening, we can be at peace with God, with others, within ourselves. Now, some of you, that is, you're aware of those things. That does not cause you anxiety. But what we do know is that a whole lot of people right now are going out and buying Christmas gifts. And while they may be at peace in giving them, they will soon take on anxiety at paying for them, right? 
The average person is going to put Christmas on a credit card, and they're going to be paying on Christmas through May or June before they get it paid off. That gives you six months to prepare for next Christmas. But as we look at the mountain snowballing reality of debt, we find that people don't pay that off. It just continues to roll and continues to roll and continues to enslave us until we look at Christmas as something that creates anxiety. It's not freedom. It's not about Jesus. It's about gifts. It's not really about the gifts. It's about paying for the gifts. And that brings on stress. For some of you, that's not an issue. That's not the thing that brings you anxiety at Christmas. The thing that brings you anxiety at Christmas is you have to hang out with those people that share your last name. You've avoided them all year long. You haven't seen them since last Christmas. You haven't sent them an email. You have blocked them on Facebook. And you are thinking, okay, it's Christmas. I have to go hang out with those people. And then you ignore in your mind, someone may be saying that about you. You may be someone else's those people, right? Of course not. Not me. It's them. I'm okay. I'm good. Everybody likes me. They're the problem. But It's possible somebody looks at you through that same lens. And so that anxiety at Christmas time and what we often bring on is the anxiety of being around those people that we don't necessarily want to be. And eventually the conversation that you have avoided with them is going to come up. I don't know why it does, but it always comes up, whether it be political, whether it be about choices you've made, right? We always love those conversations. You remember that time you made that choice? We really wish you hadn't. Yeah, you told me about that every Christmas now for the last 15 years. It's great. Let's talk, but let's do it again. Let's bring it up again. You know, those kinds of things, those conversations are going to happen. In the midst of things that seem more important and seem less important, there is just an exhaustion that comes in in Christmas. We do so many fun things. We're going to have a Christmas banquet next week, and it's going to be awesome. We had a great opportunity uh, yesterday morning. uh, We went and uh, our kids and I got to go deliver some uh, Christmas baskets to some people that that uh, were in need up on Signal Mountain, and the College X had invited us to go do that. It was a great time for our kids and for me to go up and do that. And so, you know, you've got all kinds of opportunities. You've got Christmas parties. You've got parties with your family. You've got just things you want to do. Plus, you've got to do the Christmas shopping, and you've got to put all your decorations out. And if you're like us, you put your tree up, and half the lights didn't work. And it's a pre-lit tree. What do you do with a pre-lit tree that doesn't light up? Does anybody else have that problem? Yeah, it's, yeah. You know what it looks like in our house? There's a tree that has lights burned out. That's what it looks like, uh, you know? It's like next year we may fix this, and, and honestly, we may not. So we'll see. There'll probably be more out next year. Yeah, there are different things. We're going to be busy with good things, right? Fun things, exciting things. But even that can at times bring a level of exhaustion that when we stop to really consider with Advent the coming of Christ into the world, sometimes we kind of push that to the side. We'll do that on Sunday mornings. We'll do that at our Christmas Adam or someone's Christmas Eve service. We'll watch online. We'll watch cute videos. But do we really take the time in this season to consider that what we are preparing our hearts for is the coming of the Savior into the world who is promising us peace? What I want to share with you today is something that I think is significant and, and something that uh, uh, is going to kind of, we're going to build each week as we talk about peace. Next week, we're going to be talking about peace with others. How do we have peace with others? How do we ourselves become peacemakers without giving up our, you know, what we hold true, what we hold dear? 
At the same time, we're going to follow up that um, with how do we have peace in the midst of our circumstances when anxiety comes in? Scripture speaks to that. How do we experience not just peace with God and just a general sense of wholeness and wellness within our lives, but yet when those things come up and they want to push us down, how do we experience peace in those moments? But what I want to share with you today is not just the peace with God, but what about peace and everything else within your life? And this nagging couple of verses comes up anytime you begin talking about peace. John fourteen twenty seven says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Which I am enamored with this passage that talks about the peace of Christ that he is giving them. They have not had up to this point, but he is leaving peace with them. Do you live a life in which you can, you can point to a moment where you began to receive peace in ways you never had before and you couldn't explain? If the answer is yes, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If the answer is no, you're probably frustrated through things when we talk like this. How do we experience that? How do we see that? Philippians 4, 7 is equally frustrating in that it says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, which is a wonderful passage when you are at peace. But if you are not at peace, it is highly frustrating. Amen? I want that peace, that indescribable peace that just comes in, it comes on me, and I can't necessarily explain it or describe it, but I experience it. Whenever we read these couple of verses, we often get into two inevitable questions. Number one, how as a Christian do I get this peace that Jesus is promising? <laughs> how do I get it? And number two, if I don't feel like I have it, does it mean that I'm not truly a Christian? We're going to dive into those And like all that we've looked at over the last several months, especially through our series on parables, we find our answer not in trying to rationalize peace, not in trying to force peace, but looking at Scripture and the bigger context of where this fits and what else is being said. If we simply come in here and you say to someone who is struggling, maybe they can't make their house payment, maybe they can't buy gifts for their children, maybe they can't afford to eat or they're not sure if they're going to be able to eat their next meal and you come up and you say, Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus and then you walk away. What are the chances that that person has some supernatural amount of peace come over them? Probably not real high, is it? So what does this mean? What does this look like? How do we understand this? And we begin to jump into the context, especially of John 14, 27. And Jesus says, my peace, I'm going to give you. When we jump into the context of that, we begin to understand that Jesus is not even just talking about living life without fear or anger or anxiety. He's actually talking about something else altogether. But the result is still Peace, And I want you to remember this idea of shalom, wholeness, well-being. Things are okay, even if things aren't okay. That's what we're pursuing. That's what we're looking for. So how do we receive this? 
We jump back to the context of John 14, 27. Stay, stay right there in John 14, but we're going to back up all the way to verse 15. And you're, you're going to see right away where we're headed today. I want to unpack John 14, and I want to unpack a little bit of Philippians 4, and then I want to leave you with a couple ideas, and then we're going to be done for today. But I want you to take these, and just listening to them will do you no good if, till you, until you wrestle with them, until you own them, until you choose that this is the way I'm going to live my life, this is the reality of the world, of the kingdom in which I'm going to live, this will be just another group of verses that you'll say, yeah, it's a good idea, but I'm just not sure it's true. So let's, do, let's jump in and let's see, just beginning right off the top, the beginning of this conversation Jesus is having, John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. End of story. <laughs> and we read those kinds of things, and there's a reason that you didn't know that the piece Jesus is talking about was attached to this verse, because we don't like these verses. He literally is saying from the very beginning, there is a relationship between peace, between your relationship with Christ, and your willingness to be obedient to what he teaches. We are going to be all over that this morning. If we don't have that relationship in play within our lives, the likelihood that you're going to experience the kind of peace that Jesus is promising is very small. It begins with him talking about love and obedience. There is a direct relationship between our love for Christ and our desire to obey. Now, that is not just an interesting use of words. That is a crucial understanding for what he's saying. Have you ever lived in a circumstance in which you just had to obey whether you agreed or not. Anyone who's lived that way at some point in their life, raise your hand. Okay? If you're not raising your hand, you're lying. <laughs> or you grew up with wolves out in the woods, right? If you have children, if you've been a child, which I think most of you have, that's a shared experience for most of us, if not all of us in the room, you have lived in a place where you had to follow rules, not because you agreed with them, but because that was the authority in place in that reality. There are times that in our family we have to say, this is the way it's going to be. And I would love to report to you that everyone in our family goes, yes, that's wonderful. That's exciting. We're very thrilled about this. Uh, unfortunately, that's not the way it always worked out. I would also like to report to you that when I grew up and my parents told me to do something, I was like, yes, I would love to. Thank you for your instruction. I wish that was my response and I could tell you that that was true. It's not. It's not true about me. Some of you, you kind of came out of that and you said, you know what, when I get older, I will be my own person. And then you went to work. And all of a sudden your boss said, this is what you will do. And you will say, but I don't agree with that. And he said, well, then go work somewhere else. Right? In the church, we have struggled with this concept because at times we have said, you will do this because we say you should do this. 
Sometimes we'll even back it up with scripture and we'll throw a verse in there and we'll say, you will do this because God says to do this. I remember there was a time early on when I was a pastor and I would watch these passionate preachers and they would pound on their big pulpit and I thought, man, I feel so convicted. And so one morning I tried it. I made a big point. It was all about being obedient to to God and to his commands. And I got my hand up. I was ready to pound. That wasn't who I was. And so I hesitated. And it was the weakest pounding on the table, on the pulpit you've ever seen. I never did it again. I was like, this is not me. This is not me. But we've done that. We've made obedience a test to be part of the church, to have a relationship with Christ. If you're not willing to obey, you're not serious about Jesus. And what that does is that puts us into the realm where now our intimacy with Christ is completely and directly proportional to our ability to submit to his will, which is in our own minds still an assertion of our own. I will choose to obey. I have to obey. I don't want to obey, but I want to love Jesus, so I have to obey. And I will tell you, just as in any other relationship, when you enter into the conversation of obedience being one that is forced it will not be genuine and you will resent it now there should be a place where we grow out of that when we look at this relationship with christ there is still a direct relationship between our love for him but our desire to obey not our ability to force ourselves to obey there is a big difference here Do you read the scriptures, read what Jesus says and say, yes, that is good. I want that to be my life. Or do we say, oh, well, here's one more thing I have to do. Let me write it on my long list of things I have to do. Because if that's the way that you look at obedience to Christ, then you will eventually walk away. And a lot of people do. And right now, a lot of people are walking away. Because they're just not willing to obey, to humble themselves. But what Jesus literally says is, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Not, in order to love me, keep my commandments. He says, if you do, you will. Completely different. Those are completely different ideas. For me, I I fall into this so naturally because I believe a few things. I believe, one, that God is omniscient. He knows better than me. He knows everything. He's perfect. He can see beyond what I can see. And when he wants something for me, he wants what's best for me. And so whenever he instructs me to do something that I would not do on my own or naturally, I know that God knows better. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying I'm always obedient. But most of the time, I read it and I want to do it because I believe God knows best. A second thing I believe is that God is omnipotent, which means God is all-powerful. I believe if God wants to do something in my life, he can do it. It's not up to me to do it. He can do it. And I want to align myself with him because I want him doing the things that are best for me. And if that means that I'm obeying, I'm obeying. I get more out of obeying than God does. (laughs) And so when we understand it in those terms, what Jesus is introducing here is not this diatribe to say, obey. 
If you want to know me, obey. He's, what he's saying is, for when you love me, you will, because you know what I want for you is best. So we believe those things and we move on and we understand, yes, I can trust him. Psalm 119, 165 says, Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. So there's a direct relationship between peace and obedience that we cannot ignore. But that's not the whole picture. We jump to the next verse. John 14, 16 through 17 says, I and... Following up with, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And if you're doing that, if you love me, if you keep my commandments, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So what we have in this explanation of the peace that Jesus has and he's leaving with you is in the same conversation that he's telling his disciples, there is another helper coming and I am giving him to you. So we begin to see that there's this incarnational peace that comes from somewhere else other than within us. And the same conversation that Jesus says, I'm leaving, but a helper is coming to be with you and to live within you. So perhaps that peace that he's talking about leaving with us is not just the concept of peace, but something changes in our lives once the Holy Spirit dwells within us. This is why I I so believe that your ability to follow Christ joyfully is dependent on your ability to experience the Holy Spirit working in your life. And that's something we often struggle with. What does it look like to let the Holy Spirit have free reign in our lives? I'll tell you within my life what it looks like is, uh, at times it's frustrating. It's constantly changing my understanding of the world, my understanding of who I am, who God is, and what my place is in that world. And oftentimes it leads me to a place that I wouldn't go otherwise. It's full of hope. Because I know I'm not alone. And when the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you and minister to you, pray for you, something begins to wash over you that you cannot explain in which you say, God is real. God is at work. God is doing something in my life. And I just, that's, I want to be there. I don't care where he goes. I don't care what he says. I don't care what he wants me to do. That is so overwhelming. I want to be with him. I want to walk with him. I want to experience this. And he says, that is not an act of the will. That is not something you just decide, I'm going to make this happen. See, people have tried to do that for thousands of years. I'm going to force this. You cannot force it. But if the Holy Spirit is active within you, you cannot deny the power of it to revolutionize your life. It is amazing what he wants to do. So as Jesus is getting to this point of saying, I'm going to leave my peace with you, he's saying, I'm also going to leave the Holy Spirit with you. There's a beautiful promise that he's giving us. Jesus will send the Holy Spirit to dwell in and help those who love and obey him. But again, don't even read that in the context of, well, if I would just obey more, then it would be better. That is not the way that you get there. As you love more, you want to obey more. As you obey, you trust God. You see God is faithful and you love him more. It's this amazing dynamic that begins to continue within your life and grow. 
It's a wonderful thing. The Holy Spirit is active. One thing I do find hope in this is if you ever feel like you have nothing else to offer God or anybody else, I I often hang out with people that I just look at them and I go, man, they are so spiritual. (laughs) You know people like that? They're so much better than me. Do Do you know people like that? If you don't know anybody that when you look at them, you go, they get it better than I do. You need, you need to find some people. You need to find some of those people. But I hang out with them, and I feel pretty good about myself. I hang out with them, and I think, I have no clue. I have no clue. And uh, it calls me and reminds me of God's faithfulness and what he wants to do. But what I'm thankful for is even when I am with those people, and I think, gosh, I might as well give up. They're so much better at this. What Jesus is saying here is, listen, I'm not asking you to be perfect. I'm not asking you to be the best at anything. I'm just asking you to love me and to follow my teachings. If you're doing that, you are pleasing God. And as we looked at last week, pleasing God is one of the direct avenues to experiencing God's peace. It's amazing what he's promising here. We jump down to verse 18. It says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, this conversation is happening at a time when Jesus is about to leave them. He's kind of preparing the disciples. They've been walking with them, watching him. He would teach these difficult concepts and be like, Jesus, we don't know what you're talking about. And he would pull them aside and say, all right, let me explain this one to you. But he know, he's getting ready to leave. He's going to be gone. Disciples are going to be on their own. And he wants them to be prepared for that. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. This incredible incarnational relationship in that even though Jesus doesn't walk the earth like he did then, we see him and experience him. And quite honestly, that is the beauty of the gospel today. Because there's a time when we use the gospel and the only thing the gospel was good for was later. Get us into heaven when we die. And you just want to make sure you did enough good stuff that you didn't disqualify yourself. But that's not what Jesus was offering. That's not what Jesus was suggesting. What he was saying was, I am here now. I want to be in your life now. I want to be real to you now so that even though no one else sees me, you see me because I live in you. You live in me. We live in each other. We are becoming something more. Tell you when you begin to experience that peace is an incredible byproduct. The Holy Spirit will cause you to truly live and experience Christ in you. This is why we talk about Jesus living in our hearts. Even though Jesus said, I'm not going to be there. The Holy Spirit's going to be there. But we talk about Jesus in our hearts. This is what he's saying. It's part of the idea, the complex understanding of the Trinity. It's the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. And yet, through the Holy Spirit, Jesus is also in us. It's an incredible promise. And it's one in which we need people who are willing to just demonstrate Christ within them being poured out for others, that is one of the most beautiful representations of the gospel. Even if you cannot recite the Roman road, 
Even if you don't have your list of verses to sit down and say, are, if you were to die tonight, are you going to go to heaven? Even if you never have a single conversation like that, I will tell you, you will exude the gospel as you allow Christ to live through you. And you will experience something beyond an act of your will. You will experience a filling that cannot be defined nor described. That's what I want. That's what I want for you. That's why we don't have so many rules that you've got to do all these things. That's, that's why if you, you look up our belief statements, we don't have, you know, five pages of belief statements. You've got to believe these things to be with us. Because we know that if it's real, if it's authentic, that something changes in us. And you don't need a list of beliefs. You don't have to be told, I'm going to go read scripture. You just, I want to know. I want more. I want to experience this. So I'm always, I always struggle when we talk about reading scripture because there is benefit in reading scripture, even if you don't feel like it. However, the way Jesus works is that he draws out of us a desire to know his word, not just tell us you better go do this if you don't want me to be angry with you those are very different ways of understanding this verse 21 he returns back to the idea of obedience he says whoever has my commandments and keeps them he it is who loves me repeats himself which is a common tool used in scripture to tell us this is really really important you know, I'm at home and Deidre has to tell me things more than once, mostly because I'm not fully listening the first time. I forgot Deidre's in here. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> now, now I'm in trouble. Now I'm in trouble. Those are typically just between us. When she's not here, I admit those things. But when he repeats himself, anytime you see something being repeated in very close proximity, you should raise a little antenna on the back of your head and say, ooh, this is important. I need to hone in on this. I need to remember this. This is, this is crucial. That God wants me to know this. This is, this is really good stuff. And he's repeating himself here. And he's saying, if you have my commandments and you keep them, it is you who loves me. It's an amazing relationship between obedience and peace. Goes on and says, and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest himself to him. Then Judas, different disciple, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is that that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. And what we read in this over and over again is that obedience is a consistent indicator of our relationship with God. You know, we we come up with all kinds of indicators of our relationship with God. How do I feel? How do I talk? What words do I use? What words do I use when I hit my thumb with a hammer, you know, what, 
What kind of music do I listen to? You know, do you have any non-Christian music in your selection? Then, ooh, hmm, might not be good for you, you know. We come up with all kinds of indicators that we think mean you're acceptable to God. You got to go to the right church and then even within different churches, you got to read the right version of the Bible. You got to, you know, do this, this list of things so many times. We come up with all kinds of indicators. But what Jesus is saying is you want to know an indicator of whether someone loves Jesus or loves God or not is look at their obedience to his word. That's it. That's the indicator. And it is not that you do it out of guilt or shame or out of the hope that this will get you out of hell and into heaven because that is not genuine. But do you believe that what he wants is best for you? Do you believe that what he wants to teach you is important? Do you believe that what he's instructing us is leads us to a better life? Because when we come to a, a scripture and we say, I just, I'm not in it. I'm not for it. I don't like it. I'm going to ignore it. I, it rhymed. I, I just made a rhyme up. I, was a, I couldn't repeat it again. But I, once we do that, that's good preaching when it rhymes, you know. You did know that, right? That's why when I start rhyming, you know it's the Holy Spirit. Not, not really. But anyways. Anyways. The difference is that you believe God has something important in what he's instructed you to do. And you cannot wait to apply it to your life for what you're going to experience from it yourself. Obedience is a consistent indicator of our relationship with God. Let me just back up and repeat what I said last week in that there is also a difference in not knowing and not obeying. All right? So there are lots of places and there have been lots of times in my life where I have just, I have just trucked on in my faith and in my life thinking this is good, the right thing to do. And I'll read a scripture and I'll be like, oh, I'm not supposed to be doing that. Or I am supposed to be doing something else. Now there's a difference in someone not following the teachings of Jesus because they didn't know and someone who's not following Jesus after they do know. Those are completely different. As our kids get older, the older kids are expected to toe a different line than the younger kids, right? Because the younger ones don't know yet. And maybe they won't understand completely why we're asking them to do this. But the older ones will now, the expectations grow. So the fact that the younger children do not follow through with the expectations of the older children does not make them disobedient. They're just not there yet. But at the moment that you do understand, at the moment that you do see and you do know and you choose not to obey, that is vastly different. Vastly different. So if you're a young believer, you're a young Christian, you don't know a lot of scripture and you're like, I don't know, I'm doing all these crazy things in my life. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Take heart that Jesus says, seek me. And as you seek me, you will find me. You will grow in this. He does not expect us to be perfect from day one. But when we do know, we say, I'm just going to push that over there and just pretend I didn't know. I didn't read that. That's very different. Verse 25 and 26, he follows this up. 
this teaching about our relationship with him, our love for him being intertwined with our obedience to him in verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I mean, this, I would say, next to John three sixteen, is one of the most important scriptures in the New Testament. Because it talks about how your life will supernaturally follow in the kingdom when nothing else, no other circumstance in your life has changed. This is how everything changes even if nothing around you changes. Because the Holy Spirit is a helper that is coming to you. It is the difference in walking in life alone, walking in life trying to mimic someone else, and walking in life being filled with the Holy Spirit. If I were with a new believer, there are two things they need to understand. They need to understand John three sixteen, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. The second that I would lead them to is this place, that as I leave, I am leaving you a helper, the Holy Spirit, who will teach you all these things, bring all these things into fruition within your life. You have, you, have, you have to know that God has a bigger plan in store than just for you to try harder. Because if it's all about you trying harder, you will give up. You will. I will. We never will get to the place where we can try hard enough. The Holy Spirit will interact with you in ways that you cannot predict. He is your helper. He will teach you and he will help you to remember what Christ has done in you and for you. The Holy Spirit is everything for us. It's how we live this life. It's how we live within the kingdom. It's how we live lives that fulfill the parables. It's how we're able to walk through the hardest places of life where other people crumble and yet we stand strong because we are at peace even if everything is crumbling around us because we have experienced something different. We live in a different world. Verse 27, he immediately follows that up with what we began with today. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father For the Father is greater than I, and now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does, that you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on you. Verse 31, Jesus is demonstrating in verse 31 what he's just been saying to everyone else. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. And with that, Jesus punctuates a love relationship is demonstrated by obedience and jesus is saying i have obeyed because i love him so this relationship between obedience and peace may be a missing component for you we talk about the prince of peace coming it wasn't just that jesus would come into the world and then peace would settle over the world that's not hard for us to believe because clearly Peace is not settled all over the world, clearly. So as we look at this, we do understand there is something that Jesus has that we don't. 
and he is leaving it with us. Now, if you're a scholar, you're going to know that what Jesus is actually doing here and talking about peace is he is tweaking a very long-held tradition of saying goodbye to good friends. Peace be with you. And with you. It was something that they would say goodbye to each other regularly. And you would say it in the hopes that they would have peace. And yet, as we read throughout the Old Testament... I believe it was Jeremiah who finally came back and said, you say peace be with you, but there is no peace. So Jesus is tweaking it. This traditional saying that they they would just say without thinking, peace be with you. Oh, no, no, no. My peace, real peace, that peace I'm leaving with you. Not this trite saying of peace be with you. I'm giving you real peace here. And so he changes it. Because what Jesus is constantly doing is revolutionizing the way that we see the world. Deidre and I were talking this week and I was just telling her, you know, gosh, I had that. I, I preached for a really long time the other day. I don't know why. And she said, well, why did you, why do you preach so long? <laughs> That's not really how she said it, but it kind of is. And uh, after I recovered, after my ego recovered a little bit, um, you know, one of the reasons that I uh, go through so much scripture is because I want you to see the world differently. When I grew, I grew up in the church. Some of you have not grown up in the church and your faith was a lot healthier than mine the moment you became a Christian because you didn't have all the church baggage that I brought with me. I, I grew up in a time where the church talked a lot about the what and the how. What you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to do it. What we didn't talk a lot about is why. Why? You see, the why is where all the beauty is. The what and the how, we just do that because somebody told us we're supposed to do it. The why means there's value in doing this. We never talked about the why, and I think it's because it's easier to talk about the what and the how. So I I throw so much scripture at you because I almost want to prove to you what I'm saying is true. Sometimes it goes a little long. A lot of times it goes a little long. But I want us to experience what this is. So if Jesus says, I'm giving you something you don't have, I'm leaving something that's mine with you, what do you think that is? Or who do you think that is? I think it's very evident that in this relationship between love and obedience, there is also this insertion of something into our lives that brings peace, and that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings us peace. So we look at the big picture of all of this. Peace, as we understand all of these pieces together in one conversation that Jesus has, peace comes by obeying or being aligned with God and his word. I I like the idea of being aligned with better than the word obey. Not because I have a problem with obeying. Because at the end of the day, that's it. I have to submit and obey. However, what I'm doing is not just giving up something of myself because that's what he wants. What I'm doing is I'm aligning my life with him. Obedience is aligning my life with God and his word. Scripture that 
that was read while our candle was being lit, Isaiah 26, 3, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. This is why the idea that you just come to church every now and again is toxic. The idea that I think about God at church and nowhere else is toxic. The idea that there's a place and a time for God, but everywhere else is my place and my time. That is poison to your faith. Because peace and growth, wholeness, love, joy, hope, That comes as a result of our minds being stayed on him. That means he's always on our minds. We're always thinking about him. I don't mean that when you're driving down the road, you don't think about staying in in your lane. But I'm saying that you are constantly focused on God, looking for God, talking to God. Something happens in your life and you say, God, what's up with this? And we try to understand it from the perspective of God, not our own perspective. That is a very different way of being aligned with God. Peace comes by obeying, being aligned with God and his words. That's when we begin to believe that the commandments are not a bad thing that rob us of joy, but they are a good thing that fill us with joy. There's a difference. See, when when we get out of the car with Malia... It's kind of like we unleash a little hyperactive being into the world. If, you've, if you know Malia, you know this is true. Door opens, pow, she's gone. She's gone. And it's constantly, you'll hear, if you ever see us pull up somewhere and it's me and I've got Malia, stop is usually the first thing you hear when, somebody, when I get out of the car. It, we're in a parking lot, <laughs> right? Now, for Malia... To limit herself by stopping feels bad. But I'm not telling her to stop because I just don't want her to enjoy going. (laughs) Telling her to stop because I know what's going to happen eventually if she does this every time we get out of the car is she will not see a car and a car will not see her. And then that will not be fun. So my command to her, stop, hold my hand, we're in a parking lot, is not meant to subjugate her rights to live freely. It's to let her know, I see what you don't see, I'm protecting you from you, what you don't know. Now some of you are like, I, you know what? I don't need anybody to protect me. I'll make my choice. I know, I'll, I'll, I'm fine with the consequences. I've lived that way. I know how that feels. I, 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 when I got out of the house, I was like, I'm not coming back. I'm living my life. And I'm going to tell you, that's a hard way to live life. It's a hard way to live life because God is saying, I want you to experience more than just freedom. I want you to experience real freedom. Whenever we begin to look at his commandments in this way, it changes things. Like his command that we're supposed to love others. Do you ever notice that you like life better when you're around people you love? Isn't life better? Rather than the people you really don't like? So what would happen then if we really believed that he said we should love others and we then began to expound, expand the boundaries of who we love? What does that do for us? It's not that we're just called to love others because it makes us feel better, but that is a benefit in which we receive. Because if I just love a small group of people and I love being with those people, 
I'm not going to feel great everywhere else. But if I begin to expand my circle and I'm going to begin to love others, then all of a sudden I just feel better about life in general around whoever I'm with. We benefit from that. When we talk about loving God, you can't force somebody to love anybody. I, I know, I tried. I asked a girl in second grade to go with me for three years in a row, and she said no every time. <laughs> I sent her a note. I made my box for yes always bigger than no. I never got to the point where I didn't include a no box, right? It was second grade. All right, this is a long time ago. You can't force anybody to love you. So he doesn't just say you need to love me, whether you like it or not. But when we begin to love God, all of a sudden we begin to realize he never disappoints me. He's always with me. Even when things aren't going well, he's with me. God's always working in ways to make my life more peaceful and whole, even if at times my life feels in chaos. I call out and he's there. I say I need help and he helps. I just sit in, a, in, in the midst of anxiety and worry and fear, maybe regret or anger. And as I consider him and think about him and pray to him and worship him, he fills me with something else. Loving God is not a burden. Loving God is the joy of life. So when he says I should love him, I don't do it because I have to. I do it because it's so much better to do life loving him. What about turning the other cheek or someone asked for your coat, give it to him. We had an experience this week when Jonathan was playing in a basketball game. He had a pair of shoes, weren't very old, and, but somehow they disappeared out of his locker. They're gone. Now, not a big deal. We can buy another pair of shoes, but if you've ever had something of value taken from you, it doesn't feel good, does it? It makes you angry. You want to get it back. You want to punish the person who has stolen from you. And yet what Scripture says is if somebody comes to you and says, hey, I need your coat, then give him everything. Somebody walks up and hits you on the side of the face, well, just turn the other cheek. Don't even hit him back. And the point is not that you just need to make yourself a perpetual target. Like we need to walk around you know, downtown New York with a shirt on, rob me, I'll do nothing about it. That is not what we are supposed to be doing here. But instead, those things don't have a hold on us so that when they're gone, we aren't destroyed, we aren't upset, we aren't, our life isn't in chaos. Which then also falls into, but what if they steal something that was really expensive and valuable? What, what if it's something I can't get back and it's a real loss? And then we begin to look at God's commands and, well, how are we good stewards with the things God gives us? Live within your means. Live below your means. Give more than you receive. Then all of a sudden, you're not spending more money on things than you should. And then you're not stressed out because you're in debt. You're not stressed out because I have these nice things that somebody else may take from me. And we begin to understand that God's teaching us a better way of living life. But at times we can look at it and say, but that's not good. I don't like that. I want to spend on me. I want to go into debt for me. I want to do those things for me. We realize he's teaching me a better way. He's not just trying to get me to stop doing what I like. When he says, don't lie, I, I grew up being able to talk myself out of very few things with my parents. But I tried I tried. I could spin a story. It wasn't my fault. Our most famous one in our family is 
when my parents were out of town and I went to go spend the night with a neighbor and we were out playing and they all brought their big wheels. Well, I didn't bring my big wheel. And they were gone. Mom and dad were gone. I didn't have a key to get in the house. Big wheel was in the garage. Garage has windows. They all have their big wheels. I could get mine. So I had this great idea. I'd throw a rock through the window, break the window, get in and get my big wheel. I didn't realize that the window was still about two feet higher than I could reach. But I threw the rock anyways and then walked away realizing, well, I didn't work. Mom and dad came home and they said, what happened? Somebody tried to break into our house. You know, I wasn't old enough to really tell a good story yet. That would come. So I said, yeah, dad, I saw it. We were out playing. Ginger did it. Now, you don't know who Ginger is. Ginger's not a person. Ginger was a dog. And so I told my parents, Ginger did it. Ginger picked up a rock and threw it through the glass. I saw it. Well, now, if you're a parent, a little antenna goes on behind your head, doesn't it? Ah, the picture's just become clear. I got in a lot of trouble for that. Even to this day, they talk about it. Not joking. The other day, Malia did something after my parents had talked about it. Thank you very much, mom and dad. Malia said Sadie did it. (laughs) So it comes full circle. Sadie's our dog. No, Sadie didn't do it. But the problem with lying is that you have to perpetually lie everywhere you go. You have to keep the story going. And it's miserable. And then you get caught because you didn't spin it well enough. And now you're in trouble. And if you've got five different people that you've hung out with and you run into all of them at the coffee shop and you've told each one a different lie, then then what do you do? And we realize that, you know, lying, it hurts, causes problems. Just telling the truth can also sometimes hurt. But we have few, much fewer problems. We look at worship and he says, you should have no other gods before me. We don't go, well, I just better make sure I don't worship anything else. I better not worship my sports team. I better not worship the Tennessee Vols football, which has not been a problem for some time now. But, but we worship because we realize I am filled with something myself as I worship and give glory to Him. It's not about me getting something out of the service. It's about me giving something to Him through it. And when I do that, something amazing happens through the Holy Spirit. I'm filled myself. It's amazing. Isaiah 26, 3, you keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Second thing, big, big idea that we get from all of this is that there is an incomprehensible peace that comes by the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, talks about the fruit of the Spirit, says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Because they are so good. It's much easier to be patient when you're at peace. It's much easier to have joy when you're at peace. It's much easier to be good and faithful and gentle. To be in self-control when you're at peace. That's a gift of the Spirit. Philippians 4, 7. I'm going to wrap this up quick. 
The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Again, this peace that comes from God that is not natural, doesn't just happen within life. If we're going to understand 4-7, we've got to understand those verses. And we're not going to go through them like we did John 14. But let me just read this and then just let's just... I just want to list for you what he's saying. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise. Think about these things, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Just four quick things coming out of this. You can go back and read it again. Number one, just worship the Lord. Peace often comes through worship. Just rejoice in the Lord always. And Paul, again, using that same tool to repeat again, I will say rejoice, which means this is important. Worship the Lord. The second thing, which is so, be so good for us to receive as an evangelical community in the world. Be reasonable. Be reasonable. Third thing, align your heart and your thoughts with God. This is the pray and obey concept. Instead of living anxiously, let your request be made known to God. There's no need for anxiety. Make them known to God and God will answer those prayers. And then as he closes in verse 8, focus on what is good instead of what destroys peace. Focus on those good things. We, We really need to do a week just on that. There are so many destructive voices in the world we need to focus on that which is good pure true real honorable just lovely so what i want to leave you with today is that indescribable peace the kind that doesn't make sense the kind that you don't just form or fashion on your own you don't make it happen this indescribable peace comes through obedience which is the aligning of our lives with god And loving Christ. I could give you a three-step plan on how to do that, but that's not how it works, right? Focus your life on loving Him and obeying what you know, and you will find that He leaves with you a peace that passes all understanding. I'm going to pray with you. If you'd like to come up and pray, if you're in the midst of anxiety, worry, fear, whatever, you can do that. We'll have some folks in the back of the room that are available to pray with you if you would like for somebody to pray with you. My prayer for us through this Christmas season is that we won't get so bogged down with all the stuff at Christmas that we fail to miss the one who truly brings us peace. Father, I thank you for your word, your promise, your gift of the Holy Spirit, your promise of giving us peace. And I pray for those within this room that need it desperately. For those that are struggling to experience that within their lives, I pray that they would see you differently. If anyone grew up like I did, knowing the what and the how of following you, but never the why, I pray that you would fill that hole within us so that we're not just being active in the way that we live our lives, but we are truly falling in love with you.
Let, let us experience your peace as you have promised us. And let us walk with you and align our lives with you in all that we do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.